just so you know as well, I'm afraid uh, the doorbell is within earshot. I've got uh, a fake Christmas tree being delivered and um, uh, there's a package being collected as well. Is that a fake Christmas tree to replace the one you had last year? No, it's a, the, 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 the one we've got is a full-size fake Christmas tree. Uh, and due to different bits of furniture arriving, it's this is just a small fake Christmas tree. <laughs> First world's problems, eh? It is. Well, no, it's just going to get... Oh, that's it, it's being delivered by Yodel, so the bloke's obviously just going to turn up, throw it onto the roof and s*** <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday the 2nd of December and joining me on this edition are news editor Mark Hodgkinson. For the experiment to be a success, all of the body parts must be enlarged. Audio reviewer Ed Selly. Hearts and kidneys are tinker toys, I'm talking about the central nervous system. And assistant editor Steve Withers. What a filthy job. Uh, hello, welcome back to the podcast, the first one in December of the year. <laughs> Where has this year gone? It's been uh, blindingly quick, really fast. But anyway, we need to quickly get on uh, with the podcast and uh, current competitions, only one running at the time of recording and that's Close Encounters Blu-ray, it's open to active members and it closes on the 7th of December and Mark, tell us, uh, previous competition winners, there are a few. Yes, there are. Uh, Three people won copies of The Lady Killers and they were Crown, Simo and JRV902. And then there was one winner of Edward Zanz, who was PBH100. Congratulations. Well done on winning those things. So let's move along uh, very swiftly because it's uh, Cyber Monday as we record this. And Friday was, of course, Black Friday. Uh, we discussed this last week and uh, noted that Asda had withdrawn completely from the whole Black Friday thing, uh, the one company that brought it to the UK. And then the news reports hit on Friday morning, um, stores opening at 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, and nobody was there for their sales. I think everyone's suddenly realised two important factors here. One, uh, we're British, so it's very unseemly to be to be seen going in and out of stores that time of the morning and rushing out with Polaroid TVs under your arm. It just doesn't look good in the in the in the on the news and two we're not american so uh we haven't got thanksgiving so why the hell are we even bothering with black friday <laughs> plus everyone was lazy bugger and just ordered everything online do you think uh do you think everybody got embarrassed with themselves last year ed even those people that were fighting embarrassed themselves that they thought I think not you, again you, let's face it if you've been immortalized on national <laughs> news fighting over a polaroid television <laughs> you probably want to go back home and take a long hard look the indifferent picture on the television you fought so yeah, hard to yeah. achieve. Oh, well, I mean, I just think, just, just no. It, it, the thing is, it's so wholly artificial in ter- in the context of the, the UK retail market, and you know, the general public. Don't get me wrong. As the general public, I speak as a member of the general public. We are capable of acts of limitless stupidity, but also as a group, we can sometimes we can quite reliably see when something is wholly synthetic as it is here. It has no chronological purpose in the UK scheduling. It's not a natural point where we're, we're looking to find sales or deals. And yeah, we just, just you know, we looked at manufacturers and, and retailers, if you like, artificially selecting what they might knock a bit of money off and thought, Do you know what, this is this is just pointless. And, yeah. and, and I think we just, I don't think there was a collective decision on, on Thursday evening that we weren't going to turn up on Friday morning. Just a realisation that it's it's a, a wholly a wholly contrived event and that really I, I mean I don't know, I didn't pay enough attention. Did anyone see a saving purported to be part of a Black Friday deal where you thought oh if I had the funds I'd do that or if I didn't have one of those I'd go for that I, I confess I didn't see anything I, I thought I've got mm, to say yeah. that I didn't I didn't look at um, Black Friday at all because I was skint so it's pointless looking at it because I, I no intentions of buying anything I've, I've done my Christmas shopping as we said last week and Steve's not buying anybody anything so he's he doesn't have to do it so there's only you and Mark really I got a doll's house there you go. Did you buy that online, Mark? No, it was nothing to do with Black Friday. It was just a coincidence. So, well, <laughs> there was no, there was no saving on it. Yes, I did do it online. Whereas I bought a year, I bought a year's months. worth of dispose of, of double-edged razor blades. That's not a, that. Please note that's not an emo thing. That's just because I'd run out of double-edged razor blades, and I thought I'd just buy a, a job <laughs> lot to get a discount. Um, but that did, double-edged razor blades. I use an, an old, yeah, an old school, old, old school the, safety with the, razor with the brush with the ba- basil. Yeah, 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 badger hair, whatever it is. Badger hair, it? sable. Yes. 
there's a very long and very good thread in general chat about <laughs> saving old school stuff. Do you know what? The setup costs are a bit higher, but I've saved a fortune. Setup cost might be a bit higher. I'd slash my throat if I tried to use one of those things. <laughs> oh, I, no, I think, I think, I think no, you no, should try it. It's not, it's it it should be safer in theory. It's a safe, safety razor. Steve, you'd have you'd have to be a ham-handed asshole to cut yourself on one of those things. Honestly, as I say, I am not a particularly coordinated or dexterous human being. I've been using one. I got the razor last Christmas, um, and the number of injuries I have sustained on it are zero. Um, honestly, if I can do it, trust me, everyone else can. You know, we're getting getting worryingly close to the whole vinyl thing here, but you get to try different razor blades, see which ones work best for you, and there's different soaps and different all sorts. Razor blades, a razor blade's a razor blade, isn't it? Uh, do you know what? I'd like to, I'd like to have said so, but that's not true. That this time in in early January, I bought lots and lots of different brands, like. 10 of these, five of those, so on and so forth. And over the course of the year, I've been doing experiments and so on and so forth, trying which ones are best. And the difference between something like a Persona blade and uh, the Gillette 7 O'Clocks, and they're the ones that I've actually bought a, a year's worth of, honestly, the difference in their performance out of the box, night and day. <laughs> it would be easier to write a review on those than it would be on, on, on many bits of budget hi-fi equipment. How do you know when it's knees replacing? Because it hasn't got the little blue strip they have on your normal... <laughs> <laughs> work on the principle that if you like me are not the world's hairiest human being um a, a single blade is good for about but, three but or four believe days. i said we did november one year uh november, oh, november. Oh, and, yes. and even by the end months. of the even by the end of the month you had to look really close to see three or four shaves of blade is perfectly legit and then as i say i've done a, i've bought 50 uh blades so 10 packs of five and it's cost me 12 quid yeah. So if you think about the price of that compared to like Mac Three and all the other, yeah, that's what I use. Things. Well, well I, yeah, I think I think it's just a, an extension of your turn, you know, your turntable obsession and vinyl obsession, Ed. All this I, well, it that one, once again, in in many ways, not unlike one. Ed, I, I think what I think, what I it. think is that you were born in the wrong decade. <laughs> um, I, I, th- I think I, you I should have been like born in the forties. Technology as well, but I there are certain things where. We we just take hook, line, and sinker that the replacement for doing something is better, and just go. Mm, you know, obviously, we got rid of the last, but it's it's not as simple as that. As I say, if you can put in the sort of forty fifty quid investment in the razor, brush, and some some good soap up front, then you just make savings going forward. It's like decent clothing that lasts for years and years and years, as opposed to like six hundred pound jackets. Hey, that's now three years in. It still looks like the day I bought it. <laughs> Is it because you're scared to wear it? No, I wear it all the time. I, I, you can, you can question, question my philosophy anytime you like, gents. The results don't lie. I, I still think you should have been born in the forties. Yeah, it definitely makes yeah, more sense. It would, wouldn't it? Really would. Well, and, and how we got from Black Friday to that, I don't know. At, it, at the risk of getting this back on topic. The, the online sales were huge, though, weren't they? Although no one could be asked to go to a uh, store, presumably because they were actually at work and it's not a holiday in this country. Uh, Amazon had a huge day, didn't they, in terms of sales? I, I think on, everybody on did. I think everybody mm-hmm. online-wise, uh, I think a, a lot of the sales were three, 400% higher yeah. than they were last year online. And and like you say, it's not a holiday in, in the UK. And it was before end of the month, those yeah. people that get paid at the end of the month, and those people that get paid in the middle of the month are probably done what they need to do for the month ahead so it, it's an awkward time in the month as well so yeah it, it, everything against it and of course it's easy to sit in the office if you're at work and buy stuff online yeah well fair enough i mean and, I made and, use you of know Cyber i'm, I'm surprised ed you know you don't like going out and meeting people and, and having to do with with fellow human beings so that would suit you wouldn't it Shop well yes like. but uh, that said a good retail experience is something I, I like very much there's just not very many of them these days i mean i was charged by my wife to go out and um have a look at uh buying a new bed for the spare bedroom on saturday what i did discover is that furniture stores are like those child activity centers that you pay to visit yeah. but they're free <laughs> that's brilliant you just basically you like you unleash... beds. <laughs> oh my son had, the, had a whale of a time he got to open and close every drawer on every display stand try out different chairs and beds and try and use the computers that the staff had left unlocked he was having a whale of a time and i didn't have to pay a penny for it that's brilliant um so did they have any of those electric ones that go up and down uh they did on one of those. He, he, he that is a proper ride they should charge for that he hasn't figured that those out yet 
but yeah, he um yeah, a while of a time. But um, I mean, no, that was having furniture stores and stuff. I mean, they had they had all sorts of Black Friday stuff on. It was all they were massively discounting stuff that was already dreadful. So surprisingly <laughs> enough, I didn't feel compelled to buy any. I wonder if DFS has a Black Friday sale. It's part How of the sale. sale. I don't know. Um, but no, as I say, I. It, I, I have no no problem with a, a decent sale bargain on principle, but um, I mean, I made use of Cyber Monday last year when I bought um, my phone because they had £100 off with no effort to myself other than using a website. That was that was ideal, but um, otherwise it was just pretty much, you know, just looking at it, it's all just by the numbers, discounting stuff I didn't want to buy anyway. I mean, uh, Thanksgiving Thursday... And it was Thanksgiving here because finally I could order BT Infinity. I've only been waiting for it for five years. They've only been laying the cables for the last two years. And it suddenly popped up as... as I only checked it on the offhand as well. I checked to see if it was it and bang, popped up. You can order this. So uh, in a week's time, Steve, I'll have uh, 79 down and 20 up. Just thought I'd tell you that. Thanks. So you'll, you'll be the only one, Steve, with a really bad internet connection <laughs> let's all mock steve <laughs> as he waits around for his 4k blu-ray jane austen sauntering past his front door <laughs> yeah and she's not a looker either what? Uh, anyway that was black friday um it, for stores uh you gotta feel sorry for them especially the staff uh, that opened up at 5 a.m expecting a rush of customers it just didn't happen but online uh, been a big success and uh like we say, it's easier to sit in the office when you're at work and, and order things online. And I've got to say, um, lots of stuff on the forums in terms of uh, if you want to go and look for the bargains. It's running all week. This week, uh, there's a link at the top. I think it's the top of every page uh, that will take you to some of the bargains. I've got to say, um, <laughs> kind of, I don't know if you do this. I know you don't, Steve, because you just buy discs left, right and centre. But I was, I was looking at the Blu-rays thinking, oh, that's only £6. I could buy that. And then I was thinking, mm, I'm only going to watch it though once. Oh, I might wait and it coming to streaming. <laughs> it's a slippery yeah. slope, Phil. The beginning of the end. So when you start looking at it in that way, valuing it per watch, then streaming just becomes very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like me to do that, but I did. I did do that. And and while we're talking about streaming, I I, I did catch up with um, uh, that series that we we're talking about. Was it last week we talked about TV series or the week before? But, um, so I did start watching Mr. Robot. First episode, very fight club in setup. He's a schizo. Uh, he talks to the camera. Well, he doesn't talk to the camera, but he has a narration for you. And I've got to say, I haven't stopped thinking about it since I watched it. So it's it's got me hooked. I'm going to have to go and watch episode two. Sound design was fantastic as well, really good. And I watched it on the Sony 4K projector, so obviously upscaled, from an Amazon uh, Fire TV. And uh, detail-wise, cracking. Really, really good. Obviously, it was filmed on 4K cameras, I think. So, um, well, in a week's time, I'll be watching in 4K. <laughs> It's not on Amazon in 4K, I don't think. It's 1080p, that one, I think. Yeah, but you could tell that it's obviously been captured by a higher, yeah. uh, higher resolution device because the detail was, and Christian Slater in it as well, really good. So, yeah, I'm going to keep watching that. Anyway, um, let's talk about some uh, hardware, and we've been talking about them for a few weeks now, and that's Hisense. Uh, coming to the UK market, we've finally got our first review sample through. Uh, that landed with you, Mark. It's the K321. It's a really well priced as well. Four nine nine for the fifty five. Is that correct? It's not. It's six nine nine for the for the fifty five. Four nine nine. You can get the fifty for four seventy at the minute. Right. So actually, the way things stand, with it being the end of the year for the for the other manufacturers, it's not all that cheap. When you look at the XT nine ten as an example, where you know that is significantly cheaper than the competition. This one's just a little bit below, probably like fifty quid below the you know the equivalent Sony or or Panasonic. You know, at that point of the market, there's only so much you can cut, really, isn't there? You know, well, absolutely, yeah. On your TV. Absolutely. You know, you're not going to come in John, make a loss from, from the off, are you? So um, I think it'd be interesting if, if they start sort of synchronising release with the other manufacturers more more around April time. I think it'll you'll start to see the uh, the benefits then rather than now in terms of price. Um, it's it's a decent set. It's um, It's got... Four HDMI 2.0 inputs. Uh, it's got uh, three USB ports with version one's version three, which is good for 4K playback. Um, it's got a decent selection of apps. So you've got YouTube, 
BBC iPlayer, Netflix, uh, of the headlining apps. Netflix is 4K. Amazon's coming with a software update. It says on the Hisense website that it's coming before the end of November, so they better hurry up. <laughs> um, but that, that, that'll appear soon. It's got an, its own app store with the usual tap. Um, mostly, <laughs> mostly, yeah. You know, you know the sort of thing. If you've been in the third part, any third-party app store, you, it's just it's normally just filled with rubbish. Um, puts out a, a decent picture in theatre mode. Um, it's a bit dark by default. Really, I've not measured it yet, but I sense the gamma. Uh, was going to be approaching 2.5. <laughs> you can 2. sense 5. it, can you? You can sense. Well, I can yeah. see it. It's really dark and Jedi and calibrators. Yeah. <laughs> um, it. I had to tinker with the just just basically with the color and the contrast settings just to get it to a, a suitable suitable image for a you know a standard living room. Um, it's got 2.10 point white balance controls. I can't tell you if they work or not yet. I'll, t- I'll tell you tomorrow. Um, CMS controls as well. Uh, You're not going to tell the listener. I can tell them tomorrow. <laughs> I'll tell you lot. I'm not telling them. I'll tell them in the review. <laughs> you can wait for the review. It'll be out soon. Uh, yeah, th- there is one thing I've noticed, and, I, and I've, I've yet to get to the bottom of it. Um, occasionally, when watching broadcast TV, the, it, the picture goes kind of fuzzy. So it just goes just for a, half a second, maybe a second. Um, often when it's panning vertically. So I don't know what's going on there. I can't. I, it's a fifty, yeah, a fifty hertz problem. We always need one of those. So there's something, there's something there. It's probably a native sixty hertz panel, and there seems to be some slight issue. And now I can't work out. It's this is only through the TiVo I've noticed it. Um, the TiVo has a setting where you can pass 1080p 25, and some broadcasters use that. BBC mostly, I believe. Most of it's 1080i 50. Uh, and may, I'm thinking maybe it's with the 1080p 25. I'll, I'll, I'll have to look into it a is bit it a, more. Is it a 50 hertz panel that they're using? I think they're normally native 60 hertz, aren't they? Right. Okay. So I sense there's something there. So there's there's a fuzziness. A sense um, of disturbance in the force. A sense of disturbance in the, in the 50 hertz. <laughs> yeah, it's it's okay. The, the dark screen uniformity is good. Um, decent black levels. It's it's a VA panel. Is it edge clearly. lit or direct? Well, it's, it says Edge on the on the website, but there's LEDs clearly all around in the back of it, so it, it's backlit quite clearly. Yeah, not so good on bright screens, dirty screen, dirty screen effect, some noticeable panel banding, um, particularly when you're watching the football. Um, what, so vertical it's vertical pans, not horizontal yeah. pans. Sorry, horizontal pans you get. Yeah, football you know, pitches. Yeah, football pitches, bright greens. It really shows it up. Um, yeah, it's. It's a, it's a decent TV, but it's showing it's showing its budget origins, I would say, in some ways, in terms of the picture, not in terms of the feature set connectivity. That's all good, but there's there's a better picture to be had for probably about fifty quid more, you know, in terms of out of the box anyway. Right. Okay. And of course, this this is uncalibrated, so this is out of the box that we're yeah we're talking it totally out of the uncalibrated this evening actually. So um, we'll see what difference that makes. And you'll tell us tomorrow. I'll tell you, and I'll tell the I'll tell the listeners when I want. Okay. <laughs> Via or probably your... next week. Um, we're still waiting on the XT nine ten coming through, aren't we, Steve? But we're hoping to get that before the end of this month. Uh, yes, should be getting uh, um, that within the next week or two. Okay, so hopefully uh, that'll be up before CES, and uh, I know it's Crimbo, definitely. Sorry, before Crimbo, definitely. Crimbo's an irrelevance. The next big thing, Star Wars, and then after that, it's <laughs> CES. <laughs> Isn't it? I'll have my turkey dinner on Christmas Day. So that's the High Sense K three two one. Um, we should have the review what Friday this week, Mark. Oh yeah, before that. Okay, so listen to this podcast. Go and have a look. It might be on the homepage now. You might be missing out. Obviously, listen to the rest of the podcast first before you do that. But you know, you can go and check and see if the reviews here. Uh, another big review at the moment is the JVC X five thousand projector. You've got this in, Steve. It arrived with you last week. I just know that you've spent all weekend playing with it because you just can't help yourself, can you? No. And I'm, I'm sure that the other half... The not bad either. <laughs> well, I, I was just about to say, I'm sure the other half want you to go out and do stuff, but no, you'll have you'll have stayed Luckily, in and played... It was really crap weather this weekend, so it gave me an excuse to stay in. <laughs> uh, right, so have you calibrated it yet? I have, yes. Um, out of the box, uh, very accurate out of the box, quite impressive. Interestingly, I set it up when it first arrived. I set it a basic setup, and, and um, it's pretty much the same as um, as the previous generation. There are a few differences, um, but 
the basic layout is the same as it has been for the last few generations, Phil. So I selected cinema uh, preset and cinema color uh, space, uh, 6,500 Kelvin for the, for the color temperature and a 2.4 gamma. Did that out of the box. Um, and then when I got around to measuring it uh, yesterday, it was interesting that the cinema color gamut is actually, uh, basically it's, it's native wide color gamut. In fact, um, I used the standard color gamut and that was the one that actually measures closest to Rec 709. So, in fact, that was interesting that that was kind of well, counterintuitive to what I was expecting. I thought well, it would be the other way around. No, no, it's always been the case at standard 709. Yeah. I not remember. I mean, I haven't seen one for two years, so I couldn't remember. <laughs> um, so that was interesting. And then um, the uh, the gamma was tracking at 2.4 almost exactly, so that was really good news. Uh, out of the box, uh, the grayscale, pretty accurate. There's a little bit of green in the middle of the image, um, that, 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 but not noticeably so. Uh, and as I said, the um, standard colour gamut was hitting Rex of nine very closely. So that was impressive. I mean, from you know, if you're not going to get it calibrated, although I would suggest that if you're going to spend like nearly three thousand nine hundred ninety-nine pounds on a uh, projector, but if you're not going to, that's pretty accurate out of the box. And that's after I'd put about I'd only put about ten hours on the bulb at that point because I find you know, I've been running it over the weekend and watching things. But you know, still, I might I'll do it again. But I certainly out of the box that was impressive. And then. Um, Quickly uh, tweaked the grayscale with the uh, two-point control. That didn't take very long. Got that nice and accurate. All the errors were below one. And then uh, did the uh, they now the color management system? They've dropped orange this year. Phil, I don't know if you noticed that. Thank God for that. Yeah, that's gone. Hey, um, so it's just red, green, blue, cyan, yellow, magenta. Uh, and again, tweaked that in, and it was nice and accurate. Um, basically, a reference performance uh, in both terms of. Uh, grayscale and, and color gamut. The actual color gamut in the cinema mode measures 83% of DCI for those that are interested. Um, you know, uh, and that's, that's the native on yeah, that That's the native color gamut, basically. Yeah. It's 83% of DCI. Whereas apparently the X7000 and 9000 should be DCI. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait we'll and see. We'll find out when you get it, yeah. Well, hopefully that'll be landing around about the 10th, I think they said. So they're trying to fast track that one through for review. And I've got to point out that these are production. This is why it's taking so long for us to review these. Uh, we won't do pre-pros. We wanted uh, stock, production stock, which is why it's taking so long to hit them. But um, that one's with you now. We're waiting on the 7,000. And the big thing here with the JVCs, obviously I've got the Sony 4K in at the minute, the, the 520, the VW520. Kraken projector. Uh, but in terms of colour gamut, it, it only goes slightly more than 709. And, and I'm talking about just an oversaturation, really. Nine, nine major. The advantage the JVCs are going to have, by the looks of it, is wider colour gamut, and they're all HDR, whereas this Sony is the only one in the lineup that's HDR, and it costs £8,500. Yeah, I mean, I'm unfortunately not in a position to test the HDR on, on this um, X5000, because I've got no way of feeding it into the projector. The stuff I have got is on USB sticks, basically. Um, what I have got, though, is uh, a new um, pattern generator, Meridio Fresco 6G, which does allow me to run just about anything I like through the... Um, so I tested the X5000 by feeding it um, various different uh, 4K resolutions, you know, 1080p resolutions, different uh, color spaces, different... Um, uh, it does full... It, um, basically, it's it's, an H, it's got HDMI 2.0a uh, inputs. Um, and as you said, Phil, it supports HDR. And I can confirm that it could accept anything I put through it. And it does a full 18 gigabytes per second. So it's a full fat HDMI 2.0a input, um, which is good news. And um, and, and the 8,500 pound Sony doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, it's obviously brighter than the previous generations, even you know, even out of the box. I thought, oh, that's quite bright. Um, I know it's a new bowl, but um, yeah, it's, it's clearly brighter. Um, and I think the X7000 X is a little bit brighter still. Um, but otherwise, you know, there's a few little uh, new features in there. There's a thing called uh, de-blurring. I've put it on and off, and I'm not really sure I can tell the difference at the moment. I'm thinking, oh, why is that? Look? In terms of, in term, basically, in terms of performance, the X5000 is, um, you know, is what I'd expect from a, a JVC projector, you know, it's got great blacks. Um, there are the features they've added in, in recent generations, like dynamic iris. There's this new um, de-blurring feature. There's, of course, the e-shift and the usual more detailed MPC controls. But I think I'll save the rest of my comments for the actual review, which will be up very soon. Right, so that's the JVC X5000. The review will be live when, Steve? Um, later this week. So, again, if you're listening to the podcast, it might already be there. Go and have a look. Ed. Yes. Adele. She's sold millions of copies of her new album, Is Physical Media Dead Amongst Lonely Sad Women? 
<laughs> well, for starters, I think we probably need to widen the net beyond Lonely Sad Women, if I'm honest. I'm, I'm not going to make any, any bones about it. This album is not really my cup of tea. But do you know what? I'm adult enough to, if other people are enjoying it, good on them. But in all seriousness, the numbers are, are truly something. In terms of uh, sales across the stand you know what we might regard as standard downloads are all pretty pretty good but um what was it, the number you had earlier mr withers for cds well if, they, if you sold eight hundred thousand and two hundred and fifty thousand of those were um digital downloads that means it's five hundred and fifty thousand cds or five hundred five hundred and forty five thousand cds and then there will joking aside there'll be some i imagine it'll probably put some serious numbers in on vinyl as well there is a vinyl release, oh yeah of course. people have been saying that that's pretty good this is an interesting, if you like, counterpoint to what I was saying uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about how bands can and artists can can make money in these these situations uh, in in the mod in in, in mod, the modern climate. Adele is, if you like, the one of the the last artists going where, if you like, the old model still functions for her. She doesn't tour desperately often. There are reasons for that. Um, she, by her own admission, her voice doesn't hold up terribly well to sustain touring, and she's not a huge fan of it as, a, as an action anyway. But instead of constantly keeping herself in the public eye by releasing EPs and singles and rejigs and, you know, sessions and all the rest of it, it's an, art, an album every couple of years with a tour attached. Nothing more than that. And it does mean that it becomes seen as an event. If you're a big enough artist and you leave a big enough impression after the last album, people will go crazy when you release something, you know, each time after an interval of some years. And um, I have to say, I think most sane people thought that this album, this 25 album was going to be quite a big deal. I don't necessarily know if anyone had it pegged to be quite the sales phenomenon that it's turning out to be. It helps that, as I understand it, it's not a, it's not a bad album. Um, I've heard the hello song several hundred times because many of my wife's pupils have suddenly developed the, the over, overwhelming urge to learn how to sing it. But um, the rest of it, the album is, is, is a bit of an unknown to me. But it, it's impressive that, as you like, this, this is perhaps the last flowering of old school music label and, and artist sort of clout. You know, as I say, if you look at Adele's catalogue, it's just there's nothing like the sort of Con, you know constant flow of stuff that you see even from quite large artists it's you know an album every now and again and it just goes bananas when we do and i think i, I think i read something ed that it's outsold everything else in the top 75 twice put together yes um and that it, it that sort of rams it home that you are big enough all of this stuff about you know music now being you know that, that, that there are no means of, of it being being a sort of successful, high-paying undertaking, or it's all completely irrelevant. If you are one of these the, these tiny clutch of real global superstars, people will go out there and buy music in in large amounts. And I don't think, again, there's no easy way of breaking down these numbers. But I don't think, again, it will be as simple as point as saying, um, you know, obviously all of the CD sales are to people over thirty-five. I don't, I can't see that being quite so clear-cut and as simple to, uh, to 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 break down as that so what does it say about the marketplace is this the last hurrah for physical media then do you think i think that we're going to see as i say a small group of elites artists continuing to really blow the numbers wide open across all categories and that includes physical media uh, i don't think it has a, if you are a struggling band you know, trying trying to get signed for the first time. I don't think that there are many lessons that you can draw from Adele. There, there's just a degree of if you are a, a, a sound of a moment, a sound of an era, then then you might then you might find that this this happens to you. But there's no rhyme or reason why it it, it, it sort of goes this way. I'm not damning Adele with faint praise here. She's bloody good at what she does, but there are she's not specifically more talented than a number of other singer songwriters plying their trade at this moment she has just captured the public imagination in a way that the, these other ones haven't i it, we're going to see this strata of artists continue to, to defy all sort of sound calculations or all sort of that we as we understand them and all the judgments that we're making about the industry as a whole and then 
everyone else is going to have to sort of, I think, continue to adapt and evolve and do do more in the way of sort of direct relationship to to to, to fans and and the like, and and hope that maybe they get a shot at global stardom through through good luck. And of course, from our point of view, how well produced is this album? Uh, as, again, I haven't really listened to it, but none of the others have been have been bad. I mean, not, none of them are standout works of art in terms of how they're recorded. But generally speaking, they're all quite listenable. And um, from a multi-channel perspective, the Blu-ray that accompanied her last tour that was a well a well engineered piece of piece of music. Yeah, that but was, I, n- I never wanted to hear that. that. I didn't want to uh, hear that ever again. <laughs> never again. Didn't. Not after the gadget show. Not after the gadget show. <laughs> well, no, obviously this, this is the problem with a number of a number of things and so on and so forth. But if you didn't have to spend a long weekend trapped in the same room, a week. Uh, okay, okay, whatever. It, it's still it's still quite quite well sorted. Um, yeah, for, that that's. I've I've still got the scars from that. I mean, obviously, if you're coasting around for a, a multi-channel music Blu-ray at the moment, then you'd be stupid to overlook the, the new Roger Waters one. It's awesome. That is quite something as a, as a performance piece of showmanship and and all the rest of it. Obviously, it's, uh, it, it was Dolby Atmos soundtrack for that one. I believe yeah. that's the first concert footage that's actually been mixed in Dolby Atmos. I know there's there's I a lot of Aura right. 3D, but yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. And what was it like, Steve? It's awesome. It's it's incredible. Um, I mean, it's as close. I mean, Roger Waters and Pink Floyd as well have have experimented with multi-channel sound for a long time. They were using it in their live shows in the early seventies, and they've obviously did quadraphonic mixes in the seventies as well. So he understands, I think, uh, how best to utilize it. And because the Wall um, show was filmed and released at the cinema as a film, or be it for only one day, um, no, he's he's gone the whole hog and done a full Atmos mix, and it is superb. I mean, it's as close as you're going to get to being at that concert without actually being at that concert. Um, and, and there's also lots of effects within the show that really lend themselves to to Atmos, because there are things that, I mean, there's a plane that flies over your head and crashes onto the stage at one point, so um, that literally, the sound goes over your head. Um, yeah, it was, it's fantastic, really, really good. It's a beautiful, I mean, so, I mean, I'm sure Ed will agree that some live recordings are better than others. This is this is brilliantly recorded live. So um, I mean, I understand the effects um, that are added in, such as a plane and so on. But if it's if it's music, um, and and obviously we we've sat in with people who uh, produce stuff in in immersive audio and all that, and they always say that you get very little from above you in terms of reflections and so on. So what's actually above you in, in the Atmos mix? I mean, like I said, the, the, the live show itself has a lot of effects within it. Um, quite a lot of narration as well, isn't there? There's lots of, I mean, there's the music itself, which obviously is more of a, a surround experience, um, mostly across the front sound stage. But like I said, he does mix in music at the sides and rear in his shows, live shows as well. So the show itself is is, is in surround effectively. So yeah. it replicates that. You've also got, obviously got the immersive sense of the audience around you. Um, and then you've got all the various effects, say, like fireworks blowing off above you. Um, cannons going off explosions planes flying helicopters going on at the beginning of war part two it's i know um um one of the which one is it uh, days of best days of our lives um I can't that remember. one with yeah. the helicopters flying around when he goes you yeah you behind the bike sheds that that sounds really good i mean and there's also obviously it's also intercut with sequences where he's actually at various um graveyards in europe and and again there's some nice atmospheric sounds of um which really juxtapose the all the you know the chaos of the, the live show with these quiet moments with the, in these um in these graveyards in, in europe um yeah i think it's brilliant i think it's important that um where i think this is a bit of an an, an oddity feel is that from the very beginnings of how the wall was envisaged it was always going to be it was as well as there being a band on stage it was always going to be about lots of other sound effects and 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 yeah. and, and so on so yeah forth. yeah, yeah. I, it, I, it's I not it's not it's i completely agree with you that an acid test that we still really yet to see for um an object based around recording is a non bells and whistles live recording as i say i'd still love someone playing full-size grand piano in a normal-sized room recorded as an Atmos mix. So all it's recorded is the piano should be at the front, as you would expect, no stupidity, and all I want is reverb and echo in every other channel. Well, you see, the the, the problem 
becomes with a massive audio and, and if you want to get into this in more detail we've got a fantastic video with Wilfried van Balen who invented Oro 3D um, where he was talking about using the, the height channels um, not overhead channels because you get very little reflection coming from overhead because you don't have an ear on the top of your head so you don't get that delay from directly above you and that's why sometimes speakers directly above you do not work because unless it's a direct sound um, there is no reflection, no re reverb. The human ear only hears up to about 30 degrees above the horizontal plane. Um, and I've got to agree with him there because you know everything that, that he was talking about there, you know, turning your head on the side before you'd be able to, to hear the difference between a height and a, and a normal horizontal layer and then having to work out how the human ear could uh, hear that from listening on the horizontal plane. And like you say, it's 30 degrees up to get that sound so that's the reason why i was asking you steve about um with it being a music track what are you actually getting from above you apart yeah, from I, the effects I, because you're going to get no reflection especially if it's an outdoor show <laughs> you're not going to get any reflections of sound coming down if you're in a an arena you're going to get slap echo and that type of thing and you don't want to hear that so that's why i was asking that question yeah no i, I, I get where you're coming from, Phil, and, and I totally agree. I don't think most live shows are going to lend themselves to an Atmos mix. I think this is probably an exception to the rule, really. Because um, as, as, as um, Ed said, it was conceived as a multimedia event even back in the late 70s, although it must have been an absolute bastard to put it on stage back then with synchronised projectors. I mean, now on the show he was doing pre back in, in um, 2010 to 2012, they used, uh, I believe it was 20, 20, 20 sorry, 22, 20,000 lumen projectors. Yeah. Um, to deliver that show uh, so that gives you I mean which so I think this is the show he probably envisaged all those years ago but you just physically couldn't have done it back then the technology just didn't exist but now he's in a position to deliver something that, I mean and Mark was there for himself so he can speak from experience something really quite spectacular and I, and I think that, that that's what the movie manages to capture both the images visual images and also the sound and, and the general experience the feeling of being there at that show right so that's Adele no how did we go into the wall from anyway Physical media, is it dead? Well, obviously we're big artists. I think what we're saying, Ed, is big artists like her and, and like some other uh, massive bands, they're going to sell shed loads on lots of different formats. Yeah, it goes back to, you know, really big films. People, you know, it's a film, event films, people will go out and, you know, they'll go and see them in the cinema and then a number of people will then feel compelled to go for a hard copy Uh you know, to avoid any unreliability, um, you know, disappearing off the ranks of streaming services and so on and so forth. It doesn't hold true that that's now the case for every album or every film. A number of them are still going to have to cope with them with with the different challenges of of of, of what we where we are in on the cusp of twenty sixteen. Okay, cool. So uh, that's hardware for this week. We'll be back in a sec with some movie news, which we won't because there isn't any movie news. Yet. I, I don't know why we call this movie news because. We never actually talk about movie news, do we? Should we movie reviews? Shouldn't it? Sometimes we talk about movie news. It's movies. Oh, movies. Christ, where have you gone, Steve? Steve's gone back to the 1940s. <laughs> <laughs> He's on the phone line. Who was it? Hello? Did Hello? Does it sound I, bad? Uh, no, it yeah. sounds all right now. It sounds all right now. You think? Yeah. Just now. Anyway, once Steve's back in the 21st century, we'll be back with movie reviews. So what's at the Steve? What's at the Steve Cinema? <laughs> you have trouble today. <laughs> what's at the cinema, Steve? We got the new film from Steven Spielberg, *Bridge of Spies*, um, which is his first film since *Lincoln* back in 2012. So it's three years since he's, he's made a film. So always a pleasure to have a new Spielberg movie. And as you expect from a Spielberg film, it's constantly well made. Uh, you know, he's he's he couldn't make a bad movie i don't think maybe exception of hook um he's you know he's always full of his directorial flourishes that's fantastic it's it's, it's a very well-made movie and interestingly john williams didn't score it which i think is the first film since uh the color purple that hasn't been scored by john williams um spielberg film because um unfortunately he was not well at the time and he couldn't do it um so thomas newman scores it um which you can pretty much instantly tell. <laughs> sounds really like thomas newman's score but he scores it uh, otherwise there's the usual collaborators and he's got um 
Tom Hanks back on board for their fourth collaboration. He, here Hanks is playing an American lawyer who gets brought in initially to defend uh, a Russian spy um, and then later to negotiate an exchange of that spy for um, Francis Gary Powers, who obviously got shot down in his U-2 over Russia. And then there was a, a spy exchange in, East, in between East and West Berlin. And that's the basic premise of the film. Um, and, you know, Hanks is fantastic in it. He could play in every man better than anyone. And Mark Rylance is really, really good as the Russian spy. The performances are great. The, 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 make, the, the, the filmmaking itself is excellent. But if I'm being horribly honest here, it's a bit boring. I mean, not much really happens. There's very little tension because you just know, you think like, Tom Hanks is going to succeed, obviously. You don't feel any real tension or danger attached to it. Um, you kind of, if you have any memories of history, you'll know roughly what happens. And even if you don't, you're going to have a good idea what's going to happen. So there's the, the, everything's really, you know, there's no surprises in there at all. It's really about the performances. And I don't think it's a, it's a big enough story to carry that on its own. Um, interesting, it was written by the Coen brothers and, and really, you know, apart from a couple of scenes where you think, oh, that sounds like the Coens, you know, it, it could be written by anyone. Um, it, don't, it doesn't feel like a Coen screenplay. Um, I was a little bit disappointed in the end. I just felt like, well, you know, it's okay. Do, do, you think Laura, he's, do you think he's at the stage of life now where, it, where he thinks he should be making righteous stuff like Lincoln and like this, where it's talky, talky thriller without the thrills. Well, I mean, it's being pitched as a thriller, but it's not. There's nothing thrilling about it. It's basically a drama. It's, it's a character <laughs> piece between two men, you know, their relationship, and, and that's what it's about. It's about the acting. And yeah, and it is. It's basically guys in rooms talking, as Lincoln was too. I mean, Lincoln, distinct lack of any Civil War action, which very much disappointed me. And it was just guys sitting around talking. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it was a... There's no future in that, is there? <laughs> <laughs> it's just four guys sat in a room talking. Four guys sitting around talking. <laughs> We had it easy to keep it to an hour, though. This is no civil war here. Man. I was just, I just felt like you know, yeah, he's. It's like you know, now he's getting into his sixties. He's, he's just, oh, I should make worthy films. No, put a I, dinosaur in there, or at least a car chase, <laughs> something. You know. <laughs> I mean, the problem is, in all seriousness, and I think we've said this, you know, in the past. I think Schindler's List changed them as as a filmmaker, as as a as a human being. I think it really affected him. Um, and you look at his his content since then. You look at the projects that he's done since then, and apart from the horrendous Indiana Jones, everything else seems to be really um, not really Spielberg. Does if that makes sense? If you know where I'm coming from with that, there's a distinct lack of wonderment. To yes, it. that's it. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, wasn't didn't he do Munich as well? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Munich could be the new pictorial definition of worthy, but I've seen it once, and that would have been many, many years ago. I still don't have the slightest desire to watch it ever again. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just a case of, yes, I'd, I, I, it would be nice if if it is a set, some sort of sense of perceived responsibility to be, you know, t- telling deeply worthy stories to intersperse it with something a bit more fun. But maybe, maybe he just doesn't feel he's got any fun left in him, which would be tragic. But you know, I well, suppose uh, not outside their own possibility. You know, talk about coincidences, right? We we're sitting talking about this. Uh, we're recording this on Monday. Um, it goes out on a Wednesday. We we're sitting talking about this. I've got Tweet Deck open at the moment, which I use for breaking news, that kind of thing. And lo and behold, Sky News have just posted on Twitter: Steven Spielberg would love to make fifth Indiana Jones film before Harrison Ford turns eighty. <laughs> this sounds, sounds like a daily kidding? match headline. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, that has just popped. In fact, I'm going to retweet it now so you can check that I am not telling a lie here. Uh, I'm, I'm rather, I'm, he said, we'd like to make New Angels if we have a decent script. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully, the last one stank to high heaven. Well, hopefully now that Lucas has, has actually retired, yeah, um, that, that might be a good good chance of that. There is, I'm sure there's. I'm sure there must be a really good story behind the scenes about the making of Indiana Jones and the Crystal Kingdom of the Crystal Skull because, it, I mean, I don't think um, Spielberg has it in him to make a film that bad unless he was just doing whatever he's doing, trying to make his friend happy. Because... You were, you were about to say his fat friend. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just you know, just yeah, yeah, yeah. I can t- honestly believe without a shadow of a doubt that Spielberg could churn out a turkey that bad, but 
um, sorry, that Lucas could turn out a turkey that bad, but not Spielberg. Yeah. Um, even Hook, um, you know, which by his own admission, I think he was being interviewed and he said he quite fancies watching Hook again to see if there's anything about it that he likes. Did <laughs> so he do like 1941 as well, though? Yeah. Because, yeah. oh, I mean, that's... Well, that's all right. It's not a good film, though, is it? And Let's separate the fact that it's partially this. saved by some people turning in some quite brilliant performances yeah but i think ed, but it's the, not a good film but ed i think the, the fact that we're sitting here and we're talking about two films or maybe three films that were complete tackies in this guy's repertoire the man's track record is absolutely astounding but, but i don't want to don't want for a second to contest that so i just felt that it was worth pointing out that 1941 is another film where i was left there going um i again i haven't felt compelled to watch that in some time well, I was just going to say that there are a couple of films that we've already mentioned, which you wouldn't watch again that he's made. And they are fantastically well, technically made films like Munich, like Schindler's List. I mean, Schindler's List and to a certain extent, Saving Private Ryan as well. Uh, after 20 minutes, it's it's pretty much Hollywood hokum. But the first 20 minutes of that film, they should be shown to kids and i'm not i'm not talking about young kids i'm talking about like high school age kids they, they should be shown that those those types of films in context because they're so technically well made but also because they, they are just they, they cover a period in history that, that people want you know you know don't want to have to keep going over it and something like schindler's i watched it once i'll never watch it ever again there's no need to ever watch it again but i think it's it's certainly around that period where he was making and you've got to think about how how weird it was because he was making jurassic park and Schindler's List at the same time, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, they made back to back. So back to back. In the same so he, year, he released yeah. the two very different films. I mean, I don't totally know. I, different films. I will. I will at some stage probably have to watch Schindler's List with my son, and he'll go around and go, "Isn't that the bloke who's in all the Taken films?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there is. It's like, that. yeah, yeah, yeah Liam Neeson. It's like he he used to be great, and then he got like someone hit him really hard on the head, and now he only does like weird action films. I watched Schindler's List uh, for the second time. So I saw it at the cinema when it came out. What was that in '93? And then I watched it uh, when, that, when, the, when the Blu-ray came out. I remember we interviewed the guy from Universal, Phil. Yeah. And I watched it in preparation for that. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot less jokes than I remember the first time around. I've got to say it was it was really grim. <laughs> it's a grim film. It's not something that's going to stand up to repeat viewing. I think because whereas I can watch Private Ryan over and over again because even though the first time is quite boring after that, it's, it's more of a fun, you know. War, mil- war film but this loves death <laughs> but uh yeah he's i mean the thing about bridge of spies i found interesting is is yes it was worthy yes it was well made yes the performances are great but it wasn't very interesting and yet i know from reading about it afterwards you know reading around the subject there's a really interesting story in there but it just wasn't yeah. the one that was being told for example you know there's, there's a lot of at the very beginning you know when he's when they first arrest this spy, you know, there's a bit of the, they show a bit of the, of the craft work involved with, with spying, you know, like um, how they secret, secrete notes inside little, you know, hollow coins and sort of stuff. There's no explanation about why he was caught or, or anything like that. He's just arrested at the very beginning of the film and then it's the court case. How he got arrested in reality and, you know, all those kind of things, that, that actually is really interesting. And then they sort of appoint Tom Hanks as his lawyer. And you're thinking, well, he's, he's an insurance lawyer. Why are you appointing an insurance lawyer to defend a spy? What they don't mention is that Tom Hanks' character was in the OSS during World War II, which is a precursor to the CIA, he was well known to the intelligence agency, and he'd been one of the prosecutors in the Nuremberg war, um, war, war trials, war crimes trials. So, yeah, he wasn't just an insurance lawyer at all, and in fact would have been the ideal person to pick. And then for when he's in Berlin, you know, and, and he, you know, lots of um, meetings with Russians and East Germans and this sort of stuff. That element of it, you know, he, he seems very cool under pressure because obviously he would have been quite cool under pressure because he'd been in World War II as a spy, basically. So he would have known exactly what he was doing. And and that wasn't really given put, put across in the film. I suppose the, the idea of making it more tense that you'd be worried about Tom Hanks' everyman character, but in actual fact, because he did appear quite cool under pressure and there was no real tension or danger anyway, that didn't really work. It would be more interesting if you'd just said that from the beginning, that he knew what he was doing to a certain extent. Um, you know, it just it could have done with a bit more spying and a lot less talking, I think. So your score? Six out of ten. I agree with Laura. Six out of ten. Well, you're not going to disagree with that, are you? <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to have a domestic over it, are you? Really? <laughs> Um, okay, so what's opening at the cinema this week? I noticed that it's Victor Frankenstein. This has got me intrigued because I've heard nothing about this. And, and I'm interested as to why Hollywood are going back to a franchise that died out in the, the early 50s. Uh, well, they, they keep trying. They keep trying on the, on all the classic gothic horror stories. I think they keep reappearing. I mean, I mean, last year was I, Frankenstein, which was pretty 
That was an absolute yeah. horror. And I don't mean a and horror then, film. <laughs> and then Dr- Dracula Unbound was this year, I think. Um, again, another attempt by um, Universal to reboot Dracula. Um, you know, so they keep trying because you know, they've got it in their library, and why not? Um, this one, I mean, and obviously, if you if you you know you've got t- on TV um, Penny Dreadful, that's got basically Dracula and Frankenstein and everyone else in it too. Um, this is, uh, I guess, a slightly. A, 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 I'm not sure if it's meant to be comedic, but it looked kind of funny in the uh, in the trailers. Um, slightly comedic, slightly different um, spin on it with um, James McAvoy as Frankenstein and um, Daniel Radcliffe as Igor. So uh, uh, it looks like it might be quite good fun in the trailers. I'm I'm, I'm going to go and see it. I think it'll be okay. I, I like a bit of gothic horror, um, and they the pair of them sold it quite well on on Graham Norton on Friday night. So I think uh, I'll go and check it out. What is interesting is this is comes out on Friday, so that's the fourth of December. That's the last cinema release, big cinema film release until Boxing Day, apart from one. Everyone's basically just decided to live the whole world by box office to Disney right. and Star Wars. I mean, you, you, still had, you still have uh, the 11th to open. Yeah, there's nothing opening on the there's 11th. There's opening. No one is opening <laughs> anything big the week before Star Wars opens because you're going to get murdered. Have, have you seen the, the... Did you see the, the Thanksgiving trailer that went out? Yeah, yeah, I did. Oh, man, it looks great. It really does. It looks oh, I was like five year old watching that. It was the, the Imperial March at the start. Oh, fantastic. Yes, it's it's looking good. So yeah, basically Victor Frank's night was on Friday and then the next big film is in the Heart of the Ocean, which or Heart of the Sea, whichever it is the one about Moby Dick that opens new Ron Howard film which opens on Boxing Day. I've heard nothing about that. It's kind of crept up on us a bit. Uh, as is this one in fact. I mean some films have obviously had more promotion than others, but uh I just love the way that every other studio basically said, yep, all yours, Disney. We're not even going to try and compete with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, well, that's... now start, they have to start counting the cash they're going to make, basically. Yeah, it's always going to be the case, isn't it? But it's, uh, no, I, I keep saying I'm not going to watch the next TV spot, and I think there's been about 10 TV spots now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, every now and again, you get a sneak peek of something new, and it's, oh, I thought, man, that looks brilliant. And it, and it really does. It, it looks absolutely superb. I can't wait. And you've only got, uh, well, um, when this podcast goes up, it'll be two weeks. To your birthday, Ed. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah that, well, well, that's what I was in. talking about. I was talking about Ed's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so that's Victor Frankenstein opening this week. Uh, Blu-ray rounder Ant-Man uh, is out on Blu-ray. Cash reviewed the Steelbook, but it's obviously picture and sound is going to be the same, uh, even if you get the, the traditional Amory case uh, version. Uh, that's on the homepage. If you want to see that, go and uh, go and read that. A little bit of a sneak video that appeared on Peter Jackson's Facebook account, Steve, yeah. over the weekend, playing it for laughs uh, about him directing uh, uh, a Doctor Who episode. And I think everybody cracked the same joke at the same time, saying, oh, it'll be a six-week thriller then, or, or it'll take six months to film, and it'll be you know, three different episodes of three hours apiece and... Yeah. He's he's, yeah. he's going to have to go back to his roots on this one and and direct it a in Cardiff within twelve days and and to a BBC budget. Yeah, I mean we were joking when we were talking about um, the Hobbit last week, and you mentioned about in the do- in the documentary sections of the new release, the extended release. Um, he basically comes clean and says we were making a lot as we went along, not enough prep time, etc. And I think uh, you know his reputation has been somewhat tarnished of late because. Uh, Lord of the Rings, I think everyone loved Lord of the Rings. Most people loved Lord of the Rings, at least. And it was very successful and very critically and commercially successful. Uh, the Lovely Bones, not so much. Um, in King Kong, although I enjoyed King Kong, and I think you did too, you know, I think you could say it was a bit bloated, a bit long, a bit self-indulgent, um, and it didn't do as well commercially as Universal had hoped. The Lovely Bones were pretty much appalling. And then the Hobbit films came along, and they've not been that great either. So I think he 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 personally needs to get back to his roots. He needs to get back to a lower budget. I mean, he made his name on low-budget horror flicks like um, right. Brain Dead and Meet the Feebles. And, um, you know, he needs to get back to that, I think. I, th- I think one one of the biggest things for any director or any film editor, anybody that edits something, is even if you spent um, three days filming a scene, getting all the coverage and all the rest of it, if it's not working, if it's not telling the story, if it's not moving the action along, you have to get rid of it. You have to cut away stuff, even stuff that you might love. You might have one shot in there that's absolutely what you wanted, but if it's not telling the story, if it's not moving things along, um, if it's breaking the pace, 
you've got to get rid of it. You've got to mm. dump it. And it's the I think it's the one thing that he's forgotten to do in it, and it, it reared his head in King Kong, um, and then it's in The Hobbit. It's like, well, you know, you could have cut this, that, that, and that, and made it a really slick, really fast, action-paced movie. Um, they would have been far better narratively than it is. Because narratively, yeah. it's a mess, because you know that, that they're making it up. He has to learn to cut things out and chuck them on the, on the cutting room floor and leave them there because yeah. it's not working for the story. And I think that's that's his big problem is he doesn't know when to cut things, when to when to trim it down and, and, and sacrifices that he needs to make to tell the story. I think it'll be good for him working from someone else's script, having to produce something that can only be an hour long, maximum of an hour long, 12 days to shoot it in. I think it, it will be really good for him to get back to that kind of discipline which clearly he's lost over the last few years. Uh, and um, and also, obviously, from his perspective, as a life, lifetime, lifelong um, Doctor Who fan, um, this is a dream come true for him to actually direct an episode of Doctor Who. So he's getting to fulfil a, a dream. But I think professionally, it'll be good for him to you know, get some discipline back in terms of, as you say, shooting things quickly, shooting things under budget and un, in time, and, and editing it down to a nice, tight, enjoyable, action-packed hour, hour-long episode. Be brilliant. So I'm, I'm actually, and obviously from the point of view of the BBC and Doctor Who, fantastic news as well because there's great publicity for them. Um, and although has anyone been watching it apart from me? Because no, it's, no, it's I, been a good I just, series. A number of my friends just complained vociferous about it after each episode. I mean, I do like the idea of doing an entire series of guest directors because we could really go to town on that. Get Michael Bay, Tarantino. <laughs> I'd love to see Tarantino do an episode. <laughs> <laughs> David Cronenberg, <laughs> David Lynch. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who is yeah. The, uh, an art? Who's, who's the Terence Malick? That that yeah. that one will oh. be six 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 weeks long and have four four lines of dialogue in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, as, as I say, the, the possibilities are endless. I mean, you know, let's let, let let's not be let's not be uh, timid here, BBC. You, I, could, I, you know, I thought it was quite funny. I mean, you know, even though Jackson was playing it for laughs, I, I, a lot of what he was saying in that video was really true about Moffat's scripts. Yeah, very true. Very, very, very true. Um, and I think that's why I lost interest in it. He is prone to third act problems where he paints himself into a narrative corner, and he's not actually clever enough to get out of it again. But he thinks he is, and ah, quite often it's, it's it's Deus Ex Machina for him to try and get out of some problem, which which is just cheating. Uh, I I think he he crams too much in, too too many. It's got a lot of good ideas, but he crams them all in without any real idea of how to get out of it again, and that's the problem with a lot of his scripts. They fall apart in, in, by the end. But still, I mean, so we've got um, the, the Sherlock special uh, on New Year's Day, the one set in Victorian England, which would be interesting to see how that plays out, uh, and then. Um, presumably Jackson will be doing I don't know what they've got planned I guess he'll be doing the episode, an episode of next season's next year's uh, Doctor Who season but interesting anyway Is it interesting Mark? Or Doctor Who? Peter Jackson doing Doctor Who well, It's interesting that he's doing it I'm just not interested <laughs> in watching it <laughs> Yeah it's interesting that he's doing it but I, I will I probably won't watch it yeah, I'm the wrong person to talk to it's not my not my thing I'm too busy watching Fast and Loud I thought you were going to see Master Chef. Oh, well, that as well. But, oh, that's I mean, brilliant. We're my... Thanks for getting me onto that one, Ed. It's <laughs> good, isn't it? It's superb. Yeah, no. It's, it, it's a... Te- I, I, you know, people go, you're being ridiculous, television highlight of the year. I absolutely adore that program. It's, it's just when they set the skills test, it's like cheese on toast and professional chefs can't do it. It's so... Because they all just basically freak out under the stress, don't they? Well, no, I mean, no, but we were... Jo- I was having a conversation with a friend via the magnificent medium of Facebook Messenger during the skills test. We're saying they should do one week where it's just a psychological one. Just they go out onto the onto the um on uh, out into the kitchen and it's just a solitary egg and a pan and some water. It's like you've got to boil an egg. How long have I got? Twenty five minutes. And then just watch them mentally just come to pieces under the length of time they're just being watched when they have to perform this single action. It would be it'd be you know be amusing but in terms of skill challenges nothing is ever if you if you're bored steve go and find um because i think it's on youtube in its entirety go and find the one with the sea urchin it honestly it's one of the finest pieces of comedy the bbc has ever made just because it doesn't happen to be in a comedy program doesn't actually detract from that it's one of those things where very few words are said and it's still absolutely brilliantly hilarious from start to finish 
from our professional chef on the uh, on the podcast. Is it any good, Mark? Do you watch it? I don't. I haven't watched it for years. It is a good program. I think it's just on at a time when I don't watch TV, and I, I, it's not one I think to catch up with. I, I, I've just I don't know what it is these days. But I feel under pressure by TV series. They they mount up, and I, I want to watch them, and I just end up collapsing under the pressure. So no, it I don't want. I mean, MasterChef is, is demanding in scheduling because it demand it's three consecutive days a week. Yeah. Um. You know, and that's that's pretty hardcore. Um, yeah, that's too much. And then that's that's even before we get to knockout week. I, used to, so, I did used to enjoy it. It was a good program. Yeah. Who, who presents it now? Is it uh, these days? It's Greg Wallace intermittently. Marcus Waring is the the main chef. Ah, is it Marcus? Oh, okay. And in many ways, don't get me wrong. Marcus Waring it says some more interesting things than Michelle Rue used to. Yeah. But I do miss Michelle Rue's face. Him and Greg Wallace used to be just kings of the facial expression. Just two bald men gurning at the camera. Yes. Uh, with me uh, getting my BT Infinity head, um, Steve, I get seventy nine. Stop running Seventy nine down and twenty up. Um, That's more than I get up, you know. <laughs> I've got upload empty. Yeah. Uh, as part of it, I got BT TV for free for I think it was six months. The the Entertainment Plus thing, Ed. So I'll be able to finally again watch Air Crash Investigation and Splendid. Uh, catch up on stuff like that that I've been That's missing for, for months because it's not been on now TV uh, Nat Geo's not on there so um, yeah so I should be able to catch up with all that again I'm getting excited Excellent. now Excellent. and um, uh, also just been tweeted today uh, just seen it pop up again Top Gear returns May 2016 obviously yeah, it's very May the 8th. very interesting to see how that goes say it again May the 8th is May, it? May the 8th have they even uh, confirmed who's doing it with Chris Evans? not yet I'm assuming it's not me. I never came back to my audition video. Uh, if I was to pick anybody, I'd probably pick Chris Harris. I don't uh, know. You see, Chris Harris is a truly superb driver and he can tell you lots and lots of exciting things about the car. But I don't necessarily know if he's going to be much cop at just sort of dicking about. Well, I've seen him do a, do a couple of things with TIFF recently. Um, one was for 5th gear and one was uh, he's the only person that's tested the P1 against the, the Porsche and the Ferrari the, Mac- the Ferrari the Ferrari Ferrari um, his video went up and it's only already done 2 million it only went up last week but yeah I mean he, he's I think he's he's the type of personality that would work well I think oh, well uh, we'll see be interesting to see how it goes but um, and of course they're going to have to have a woman on there and, and I think the only the only woman you could pick really would be um, Jodie Kidd well, possible. Um, obviously, although, although, although she did, she did that thing with um, she did that thing on Channel Five. There was a, was it a car show they did on Channel Five? Was it? I think I saw one of them, and it was absolutely terrible. I mean, you could always get Ann Anstall or um, what's his face, uh, Fuzz Townsend. Ann Anstall has ruled himself out. Has Fuzz he? Townsend is a lovely, lovely bloke, but I don't know. It, he, he's it, it would be the same same thing as um, it, it, he's not necessarily. A, a carrier program star presenter. He provides sort of technical nouse and and yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a sort of Ed China bit. character. But by he? the same time, I've said this before. You need to put Anne Anstead, Fuzz Townsend, and Ed China on the same program and just give them the most impossible. Just like right, chaps, I want you to raise and restore the Titanic in two weeks and then go <sighs> have a cup of tea and then just get on with it. Oh, you'd so, have to yeah. add um, what's his face to that then, uh, Yorkshire lad. What do you call him? Uh, the bloke who pulls off most of Guy Martin. Guy Martin. The four of them together to do <laughs> impossible things. He's on Sunday night at half... Uh, I forget the time now, but Sunday night. Uh, it's a Vulcan thing, isn't it? Or was that yeah, yesterday? That was last night. Ah, oh, bollocks, night. I missed it. It'll be on catch-up. <laughs> yes, yeah, on catch-up. Yeah, it's not the same as it used to oh, be. I'd been, wait, I'd been waiting all week for that. <laughs> well, you were overweighted, didn't you? <laughs> uh, Steve, who do you think will be there? Don't know, don't care. <laughs> Never watched Top Gear. <laughs> don't know. I don't know. You've been talking for the last five minutes. I've got no idea what either of you have been talking about or who you've been talking about. It's just like, huh? who, who are all these people I've never heard of? Mark? Um, I don't particularly care either, but um, I reckon Jodie Kidd's a good show and another bloke another who's book. involved with cars. <laughs> I don't watch car programs. I'm not the best guy to ask. The only reason I know that it's the 8th of May next year is because Chris Evans was on Saturday Kitchen and I was watching that on Saturday morning and he said... Saturday Kitchen? (laughs) Criticise people for watching Top Gear. I was watching Saturday Kitchen. Yeah, Saturday Kitchen. Doesn't that have James Martin on it? Yes. 
I God, I hate that man. I hate him on a molecular level. But, uh, it was quite funny though. I, I, okay, I wasn't watching Chatter in the Kitchen. Laura was watching it. I just happened to be in the room. But uh, Chris Evans just wouldn't shut up. And they were running way over on everything because he kept talking and talking and talking. Although he forgot to actually give the correct date when they were actually broadcasting. Because <laughs> he, he said the date they were actually filming it, filming the programme on the 4th. Because they're doing all the film segments at the moment, but they're actually shooting the programme on the 4th of May for broadcast on the 8th of May. And he, James had to correct him and say, don't you mean the 8th of May? <laughs> Right. That said, James Martin did make a good motoring program. The one where he does the Mille Melia, ignores everyone's advice, breaks his hugely expensive Maserati and cries. Brilliant. <laughs> I, I think I watched that as well. Yeah. It's fantastic. Deserved every second of it. I, I loved. I loved the way he backtracked it. Oh, well, it was. It was Laura that was watching. It. Aye, right. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, I think we've outstayed our welcome, and that is the end of the AV Forums podcast. But just for this week, uh, my thanks to Steve Withers. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Mark Hodgkinson. No tongues. And Ed Selly. Perhaps I can help you with that hump. And uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Bookmark AV Forums for the latest reviews, news and videos. And of course, if you give us five stars on iTunes, only if you enjoyed the show, mind you, we will read your name out in a, in a future podcast. Maybe the Christmas special. I'm saying Christmas special. It's just going to be a Star Wars special, isn't it? Yeah, let's, yeah not, let's not hide it. I don't know. As long as we do it in the evening and I can drink, I don't care. You can talk about anything you like. We, we, <laughs> okay, we might do that, Ed, but you've got to buy the party poppers. Um, all right, that's what we can do. Okay, okay. I'm Phil Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Bye.